I want to introduce Mark Rumsey, our moderator for this evening's event. Mark Rumsey is the producer of WFAE's Public Conversations, as well as the local host of NPR's All Things Considered on 90.7 WFAE. So I'm going to hand it over to Mark. And again, thanks for coming out. Thank you, Kim, and uh, good evening, and thank you also uh, for coming out tonight. I know that you could be many places on this blustery evening, including, I understand, just a few steps around the corner at a Cindy Lauper concert. So thank you. <laughs> we will have fun here tonight, I guarantee you. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. um, if you would like to tweet, uh, there's the hashtag. Uh, WFAE PubCon. Otherwise, it would be great if uh, your electronic devices could be on the silent mode this evening. So what is the future of arts and cultural organizations here in the Charlotte area? As our program title uh, posed the question, how can these groups not only survive but thrive in the years to come? One way is suggested here in this little drawing. Everybody wants an arts grant, right? (laughs) I wish we had some to hand out here this evening, but I don't have any in in my hip pocket. Uh, To my knowledge, there's no grant money available here tonight. But we won't be completely answering um, the premise or the the question that we've posed tonight, how can the organizations survive and thrive? But I do hope and think that we'll have a, a lively discussion and hopefully some fresh insights and most of all just an honest look uh, at the situation that I know everybody in the room is, is very interested in and in one way or another invested in. So um, I'd like to uh, turn to our panel for this evening, and I really appreciate their taking the time to be here with us and with you to talk about this issue. Let me introduce them to you at this time. I'll begin in the middle with Kathleen Jamison, and she is the president and CEO of the Mint Museum. She joined the Mint in July 2010 and assumed her current title uh, at the end of that year. Dr. Jamison previously held several positions, including Assistant Director for Programming at the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston, where it never snows, right? (laughs) And among her educational degrees is a Ph.D. from the University of Delaware. We'll welcome all of our panelists in just a moment. Pat Riley, closest to me, is President and Chief Operating Officer of the Allen Tate Company, which includes Allen Tate Realtors, may have seen one or two of their signs in your neighborhood. In the community, he has held chairman roles with organizations including the Arts and Science Council, the Greater Charlotte Cultural Trust, the Charlotte Mecklenburg Public Schools Foundation. And Mr. Riley is currently serving as co-chair of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Cultural Life Task Force. And uh, to my far right is Jim Warren, He's executive director of the Carolina Raptor Center. Think birds of prey. He first joined the organization there in 2006. Uh, Mr. Warren has over 30 years of experience in nonprofit management for organizations including the YMCA and Mecklenburg County Park and Rec. Extra credit for the fact that his online bio declares that his hobbies include listening to music 
and NPR. <laughs> all right, let's welcome all uh, three of our panelists this evening. So just before we hear uh, from our panel tonight, uh, I've got just a few slides that will illustrate uh, why we're having this discussion. And based on the number of hands that went up, I would say most of you are, if not directly familiar with these numbers, uh, these graphics won't come as a big surprise to you. The first one there that you see is total giving um, to the Arts and Science Council from 2007 through 2012. So you see that trend from 11.6 million down to 8.2 million, a 3.4 million dollar decline over that period of years. Um, we'll talk about all of this in more detail, but that's slide number one. The second slide shows the number of uh, Arts and Science Council workplace donors, and you see quite dramatic. Um, results there, if you could call it that, going from just under 41,000 back in 2008 down to just under 22,000 in 2012. And the number of corporate and foundation donors, roughly the same time period, 07 through 2011. Um, bar graph looks a little less dramatic there, but uh, when you look at the numbers, uh, pretty dramatic actually. I think I calculated that one up at a 40% decline or something like that. So to turn to uh, folks who are intimately involved in this uh, on the front lines and trying to figure out where we go from here, uh, let me just kick this off with our panel. You know, uh, we know about the recession. That's old news. And we understand intuitively and from everything that we've seen and heard and read how that plays into this, but I'd like each of you to just briefly uh, tell me what else we need to know about what's behind these numbers. Um, you're right here, Mr. Riley, so I'll start with you. First and, first and foremost, I think we all have to recognize in this room that uh, this entity, if you compare it to a business, not just the cultural groups, if you just look at it as a business, it would be us sitting here talking about Carolina Med or Duke Energy. That is what it brings to this community as far as economic vitality, as far as jobs, job creation, as far as revenue, whether it's travel and tourism or it's just the local folks uh, uh, being part of the cultural and the employees who work in and around the cultural side of it. So it's big business. And as you look at these charts, it's very easy to slump in to, uh, to a, uh, a mind frame of it's helpless, it's helpless, it's helpless. But I will tell you, sitting here as a big business uh, at a peak of 2006 of 24,000 closed units and going for three and a half years at 12,000 closed units, half our business went away. So these numbers look much better than most businesses that had to rally through this recession. Putting that in, in perspective, there has been societal changes, which we have to recognize, whether it's who's coming, the audiences, the age, the demographics, I just had a fellow email me from Ballantyne's, couldn't make it tonight. He says, we're a cultural desert in Ballantyne, and there's 444 events, and they're all in Center City, and I just can't come up there every night. I'm sure he's 
calling out from center from Sun City, which has 233 homes sold through the recession every year. There's society changes, but on top of that, there is pure recession. I was chair of the chamber. And I was a year and a half out there saying we're not going to participate in this mess because we're creating jobs. 30,000 people came here a year through the recession. But I was naive. My friends around the country said it's coming. It came. We came in a year and a half later than everybody else. The good news is we're coming out faster and harder than anybody else. So it's going to take a lot of changes. What I'm so excited about is this community gets behind any time we get in trouble, any time we have to figure something out. It's public-private partnership. We get in rooms and just get her done. This, this task force that we have is not ASC-driven. It is city, county, CMS, Charlotte Chamber, the partnership, the foundation of the Carolinas, and ASC. These are private citizens that say, we're going to figure this out together, and it's not going to be a silver bullet. It's not going to be one bullet fixes it all. It's going to be everybody, from individual donors to workplace giving to corporate giving to endowments and recharging the cultural trust. It's going to be the government coming in and stepping up and doing some of the things that was supposed to do in the past and has, has wavered. It's going to be a whole comprehensive plan, and all we're doing is recommendations. And trust me, the government can look at our recommendations and say, we're not doing it. Our, our affiliates, we're going to come up with changes for affiliates, and they can say, we're not doing it. And ASC, if you look at Cincinnati, had to reinvent itself. We're going to have to reinvent ASC. We might have to rename it. But you know what? ASC, the board of directors, can say, nope. We're not going to do it. So all we are is citizens coming forth to say we're going to try our best to come up with ideas. Okay, thanks. And let's continue down the line. Uh, and we were addressing um, what besides the recession uh, is behind these rather grim statistics. Well, I, I think it's also important to note um, that in addition to the declines that you're seeing, we're also facing increasing demand for our services, and, and that's not reflected here. So um, we are increasingly asked to fill gaps, whether that's in our school systems, um, whether that's in uh, the community outreach that we do. Um, we are seeing growing attendance and, um, and growing support. At the same time, we're seeing these major declines. And so I think it's important for us to try to unpack what what's behind all of that um, I clearly the community values uh, the cultural sector that comes out in all of the surveys and, and um, planning that the ASC and other groups have done um, so it really what I think is is important to figure out is how do we connect that value to engagement and to meeting the increasing demand that um, that we're facing because clearly the community wants more it wants more programming more diverse programming more programming in Ballantyne and other communities and we want to provide that but we're not going to be able to do it um, with the resources that we have at hand how do you know uh, how do you measure increased demand for programming say at the mint how do you know so from everything uh, to um, uh, an increased desire for tours, for, um, for uh, more uh, community outreach programs from different affiliates um, and different uh, community partners, um, to uh, 
even corporate partner conversations where they're wanting us to do more for employee engagement or recruitment or um, talent development. I mean, there, there's just an ongoing um, conversation about how we could do more and at, on all sides. Um, but we, we need the resources to be able to do it. And I think we, what is also not in these numbers is the incredible amount of things that the cultural sector does here um, with the resources that it has. I mean, the the number of people that are served and the economic impact that um, the sector has is is really extraordinary. And and I, I don't I don't see that in the slides. Mm-hmm. The sheet that you have has all of those stats. Mm-hmm. It's it's mind boggling. Mm-hmm. And so increased demand is more than just uh, people somehow indicating that they want more exhibitions at the museum. We, we just finished the 2010, we finished the fourth cultural uh, uh, task force, cultural task force came together to look at what does the cultural community need to do in the future. And uh, it was a year and a half body of work. And we touched every sector of the community. It was, it was every sector of the community, the 14-county region itself. And it came back and said, we want to get into the communities. We want more. We want to get into the communities because the cultural community is the only thing that brings diverse communities together. It brings people, all, all races, religion, color, inter- international, brings them together. Nothing does it like culture. And we want more. We want more. We finished that study. It's on the shelf. And we want more in the schools. We want the kids to be touched every grade through, through the university system. Everything we came up with was we want more. We finished the study and rolled it out and said, oh, my goodness, we, we are not funding what we're doing now, let alone how are we going to fund this. So we put it on the shelf. We never rolled it out publicly. We put it on the shelf and said, we got to figure out, especially in the middle of a recession, we better figure out how we we get through this this situation first before we worry about the the dreams that we we heard from all walks of the region does that cultural pull that that crosses all boundaries does that include the carolina panthers (laughs) (laughs) just wondering yes let's get down to birds of prey uh mr warren so we were talking before um the program just about the scope of the carolina raptor center um, maybe everyone else in this room was aware of that, but I wasn't, and I've lived here for a long time in terms of, um, well, I'll let you tell us, and, and how do you feel this, and how do you feel the numbers? Well, yeah, how many people by show of hands have ever been out to the Raptor Center? And hopefully, thank you. So you know what we do. And one of the things that we shared was, you know, when this hit, um, we made a concerted effort, an intentional effort that we said as a staff, we were going to continue our mission. We owed it to the community. We owed it to the people that uh, come out and that we serve every day. And, you know, the remarkable thing, we went from a $1.4 million budget and almost overnight we went to a million. And when you lose $400,000, you have to make cuts somewhere. And there was a lot of people that we work with and a lot of things that we do. The, the interesting piece is even though our resources went from here to here, our service level actually went up. And the interesting thing is, I don't know if a lot of you know this, but Carolina Raptor Center right now is the largest raptor medical hospital in the United States. We started seeing a lot more birds during the economic downturn than we ever had. The largest other center in the country saw 700 last year. We saw 1,000. 
And so all of the birds are still coming in. The other thing is I know, at least within my own family, when things started happening, we started staying closer to home with some of our activities and our vacations. Staycation became a real cool, trendy term. People were coming to the Raptor Center, so now we're not just seeing people from Mecklenburg County, from all over the state, and so we're a tourism draw, a destination, and so our visitors went up, and school kids wanted something else to do, and so we started taking uh, our birds in, and so we're literally, we had less resources to do what we were doing, we're actually starting to do more. And we did it out of a dedication to this community and what we feel is the community. I was joking with Mark earlier, you know, that 1,014 birds, but who's counting exactly how many, um, don't come to us with Affordable Care Act. I can't get our vet to say, all right, Dr. Scott, how many birds are we going to send uh, build a Blue Cross Blue Shield next year, and we're going to get reimbursement back on all their treatments? It doesn't happen. It becomes part of the visitors and the school children and the corporate sponsorships and the donations that make that happen. So I think we felt we owed it. I think the other thing, if I may, is that the nonprofits in this community, particularly those that I work with every day on the cultural, we didn't share maybe as best we could how bad we were hurting. I don't think people realized it. They said, oh, they went to the Raptor Center. We're open. We're doing programs. We're at festival in the park. We're treating birds. Life must be good. Well, we kind of sucked it up and do what we do in the nonprofit world every day. We went about our business. And I'm sure the for-profit world did the same thing. I think now, looking back, we should have been screaming to the rafters, hey, we don't exactly want your help. We do, but we want you to be aware of the situation. And I think that's a big part of what we're doing here tonight. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I'm just curious, um, do you feel like the Mint... Uh, let it be known in the community, has let it be known what the struggles are? I would agree with Jim that um, I think we we also, um, very similar situation uh, in that we were not communicating, uh, I think, um, uh, probably as much as we should about about the resources that would be needed to continue to to sustain the organization really to but to have it thrive um so we also had a a fairly quick turn um to address um issues around our endowment performance and the recession as well as some some other things um so we went over a two-year period from a 10.2 million dollar organization to 8.9 this is a, a very significant turn Luckily, um, the Mint, we have a a very healthy balance sheet, no debt, um, cash reserves that have been built up over time. And so we've been very fortunate to have sort of been planful um, to be able to weather storms like this because storms like this come along. Um, But I think that we have... um, uh, been very forthcoming, uh, certainly over the past six months and more, about the impact that uh, this has had on the museum, um, and certainly in terms of uh, reducing some of our public hours and making some other choices that we had to make in order to continue to serve our mission and serve the children and families um, that, uh, that we do, and also to protect our employees. A couple of things that we, we definitely, as we look at other cities and those of us who came from other places, uh, we're not blessed with a, uh, a Lilly Foundation, a Ford Foundation, a, a Gates Foundation in our backyard. Um, our wealth, uh, we do have a lot of wealthy family and per capita, uh, per capita, it's here. Our, our, our wealth per capita is very, very good. We just have not done a good job, just like we referenced the Panthers. Uh, when you go to Panther Stadiums and the Steelers come to town or the 
or the any Cleveland or anybody, you'll see half the jerseys wearing the uh, the other city's uh, uh, logo. And that's because we came from other places. And we have not done a good enough job connecting with all of this in-migration. Uh, those folks were attached back in Cincinnati and Cleveland and Canton and Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh. They were connected. And we, we, we come in, we're bringing all of these folks in. We just not have not done a good enough job connecting with those people uh, just like it takes a second generation of Panthers, we're hoping it's not going to take a second generation to get connected to our cultural side. So that's just one piece of it. There's a whole other piece when we talked about the uh, the societal differences is workplace giving is not dead. It is not dead by any means. Folks, folks were making less. They were furloughed. They had two pay cuts in my incident. And, and it's just... They just couldn't. Many people couldn't. And then the corporate folks that were leaders were leaders, but they just couldn't lead through it to say, folks, I know you're hurting, but we've got to still give. So some of those folks backed off. That's going to rectify itself. Uh, workplace giving is not dead. It just needs a whole refresh. It needs refurbished. People just aren't into writing checks anymore into a, a bucket. I want to see that bird. I want to see those kids cry. I want to see and, and take it outside of the cultural side and the education side. We have a big, huge onus in our company on education. I get to see the 15 principals that we sent to Boston to have leadership training. I see them come off the buses with tears. But my 1,400 employees don't see that. And today's society wants to see when they write that check. They want to feel the love. They want to feel the return. They want to follow their passion. And we got to figure out ways to do that and connect. And we as an entity with ASC, ASC is the icing on the cake. It, it, it needs to raise money. It needs to raise money. But that money that's raised, uh, it, it's, it's got to be such that it's, it's, it's there to support operations and um, to, to take risks. We have a lot of organizations that want to take risks, and the new society is telling us we want risk. We want, we want innovative. The, the, the test study came back and said we want innovative, creative programming. Well, for an organization that's trying to survive, how do they put money to a risk uh, program to this is going to be a hit or it's not? Uh, so... All of these things are intertangled, so we have to break them apart. We've been studying and studying all of these other communities, and it's not one thing. It's a million little things that need to be addressed, and, and it's going to take real work, and it's going to be every citizen. It's not just going to be one company uh, just coming in and just writing a huge check. It's going to be all of us because we came from other places. It takes thousands, 30-some thousand people writing individual checks instead of the Lilly Foundation just writing one big whopper, and that's what we have to, that's what we have to all do together. All right. In a little bit, we want to start hearing uh, from you. Um, so our uh, wireless mic team will be ready to see some hands here in just a moment. While they're getting in place uh, for that, um, just would like um, short responses on this question uh, from the panel. Is there then anything in particular that makes uh, Charlotte unique in this scenario versus what your average other city across the country has been dealing with. We were actually just talking um, before the program started. So, Jim, you, you were just somewhere um, at probably, it sounded like a conference or a gathering. I just came back from Boston with, uh, from a program uh, that the National Arts Strategies Group convened of um, 
all kinds of arts organizations, performing arts, visual arts, from all not all not only all over the country, but from all over the world. And it, it was striking um, how uh, similar um, everyone's challenges were. So I, I don't think we're unique in that sense at all. Um, I do think that Charlotte has an incredible opportunity to craft something that is truly game-changing. That Char- When you have this kind of community that can embrace um, different ways of thinking quickly and nimbly and um, and innovatively, I think we really have the opportunity to lead probably a national um, conversation. Uh, that's, that was really the thing that um, resonated the most uh, during this conference last week. So I think the, the unique thing is that we have an incredible opportunity and the public-private partnership model has done um, this community uh, gr- great things, uh, and it's likely that that will need to be the model moving forward. Um, so that also tends to be rather unique. But mm-hmm. but where we are in terms of the challenges, this is a universal a universal issue. Okay. And uh, Mr. Warren, at that conference, did you hear anything that stood out to you that seemed different or surprising? And this was the national, and I want to say how grateful I was to be able to attend this. This was the National Innovation Summit in Denver a couple weeks ago. And the interesting thing was I'm in there with people from performing arts and visual arts, ballet, uh, opera, symphonies, and I'm birds. And they were kind of like, wait a minute, now you're, what are you, birds that dance, birds that sing? I mean, what? No, it's science. And so the first thing was how unique Charlotte is to have science and history as part of the arts and science. You know, culture is not just sometimes that you see or you react. It's, it's all different things. But the one piece I think really stood out in my mind is talking to these folks from San Francisco and Cincinnati and Philadelphia and New York and all the major cities. When they talked about it, they had an issue. Man, it would be great if we could get people together to discuss it. We're here. And when I started saying, well, in Charlotte, we've actually got a task force that's been convened, and it's made up of the city and the county and the the school system and private business and funders, and and they were like, wait a minute, now this is actually happening right now. It is. And so I think... To me, that makes us stronger just because we are at a place where, as a community, we realize there's a need, and we come together as a community to work on it. Okay. Um, So first from the audience, if I could uh, solicit this uh, response. Um, So far, we've pretty much talked about kind of the problem, right? Um, A little few hints of getting into the discussion about solutions. Um, But... In the discussion that you've heard so far about the issue, the problem, from where you sit, as um, a a staffer with an organization, a volunteer, or the other category, uh, just a person who cares passionately, or however that was worded, are we, in your view, missing anything about this big picture? Uh, Is there a missing ingredient here? And I see two hands already, so let's go here and then over here. Uh, John Clark, um, I need to say, first off, I have a bias against the United Fund model. And, Pat, just to direct to your comments about the workplace giving is coming back. Uh, Losing 46% of donors over five years is a rather significant uh, figure. The, 
the tragedy, I think, in Charlotte has been that it has neglected the, one of the most important connections about people seeing the arts or culture and having an emotional reaction is direct philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Individual giving is the greatest source of charitable giving, and that includes the arts, and has been for decades and decades in this country. A United Fund model tends to filter and be a third-party broker and doesn't encourage in, in this direct kind of philanthropy. Over the years, if we had started a different model 50 years ago, and this model was set up for the benefit of business to curtail uh, requests and solicitations, it's efficient, but when it hits a big block in the road like a recession, it really is hit hard. And the recovery is going to be tremendous. My question is for the panel of the task force. Are you considering other alternatives, other models beyond a top-down United model fund? Because the greatest number of arts group in 07, the greatest number of members that an arts group had in this country was not an art-producing group. It was the Arts and Science Council. Usually in in communities that have developed philanthropy, Donors giving a million dollars every year because they give it directly to the symphony, the Raptor Center, or whatever the case may be. So I think that's the real issue, and I hope you will seriously look at that, at least a hybrid or some fashion that you can encourage that individual direct love of of, of an art form, because that's what we've missed in this city. We are great on buildings. We're great on halls. But when it comes to arts and artists and painters and poets and dancers and musicians, we are rather weak in Charlotte. And and that's where... So thank you. And um, I know from what I've read, the task force is looking about different models, but but clue us in here. A lot of different models. But if we didn't have workplace giving, and really the workplace giving fall off is really two major institutions. Two major institutions is most of that fall off because they changed their corporate philosophy. The reality is we have to bridge ourselves from we just we all agree that workplace giving there has to be connectivity through the workplace there has to be connectivity but we can't go from a 31,000 people giving through workplace to nobody giving through workplace we have to we believe that workplace we have to still bridge workplace my company our workplace giving goes up every year now that we're out of the recession because our people believe in the arts, and we know we have to connect them, and we figured out how to do that. You can do it with leadership. All we're saying is workplace giving has a place in the future. It's going to need a lot more different ways to connect the passion with the end user. If we left it up to our institutions alone, it ain't going to happen. The perfect world, the perfect world is the United Fund celebrates excellence and creativity and maybe funds creativity, funds traveling shows, it funds emerging artists, it funds public art, it funds things in the neighborhoods that the institutions can't do. But we can't get from here to there without still having workplace giving part of the equation because we believe a lot of companies and a lot of people, that's the only touch they have at the present moment because the institutions haven't touched these folks yet. Are you looking at how you encourage individual philanthropy? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, thanks. Let's go back here for another comment or I question. Think my question was pretty similar, so I don't. I don't want to. Repeat okay. That. Okay. Well, um, let me just turn back to the panel for a second, then, because in 
my conversations uh, with you prior to this event and uh, reading different uh, sources and quotes over the last several months uh, as we've seen this unfold and the task force gearing up. That's probably the one phrase that I've heard more than any other phrase is a new model of support, a new funding model, a new a new model. <laughs> so talk a little bit more about this. It has a nice ring. How many different ways based on national experience how many ways are there to, to uh, garner support for arts and cultural organizations? Uh, Dr. Jameson? Well, I, I think there are probably an infinite number of ways. I and mean, the task force has been looking at you know, lots of different um, communities, lots of different mixes. My sense is that there's probably no one community where you go, that's it, and that's what's going to work here. Um, I would say that, um, uh, Mr. Clark, to your uh, comment, um, I think the the task force and I think all the organizations are deeply committed to um, a transformative model of philanthropy. You know, there is a component of workplace giving that can be transactional. And that, I, I think, everyone recognizes has to, that has to change. Um, I think one thing that is important to acknowledge is that um, in a community like Charlotte, where we have a, a um, Pretty highly transient community and expat community sort of um, workplace giving may be that one sort of outlet to to tap into folks who are not necessarily going to root here and so I don't think you throw the baby out with the bathwater but I think that um, the everyone is highly focused on the need to encourage uh, individual philanthropy and engagement because I, we believe, I believe strongly that that is the only way that we're going to lift this community is that everyone understands that whether it is buying something in the shop or becoming a member or um, buying your teacher, uh, your kid's teacher, a gift membership to an organization, whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be a million-dollar gift. Um, it, that's what it's going to take. And you're right. We, we have some catching up to do, but I, I think that this community can act boldly to, to address that. The extreme is a Chicago where everything is plugged back into City Hall. It's a mm -hmm. cultural city that's paid for by the taxpayers. That's the extreme right. The extreme left really is us. We have been admired by when the, we go to inner city visits with the chamber every year, 55, 60 years we've been visiting cities, and we get back on the planes, trains, and buses, and we go back and people just say, oh my goodness, in Charlotte, everything is done public-private. Everything's done public-private. Everything's done public-private. I started my conversation by saying we don't have the big endowments. I mean, we just squeezed so hard to get $82 million to do these, these facilities. We don't have the big endowments. And to that end, what we did, the private part of the public-private has been 31,000 people writing checks. Now, the flaw of it was the big five. The big five. We didn't get to the big 50. Now we have companies coming in, these brand-new companies come in. When you used to come in town, you knew when you got off the plane, the CEO knew before they even signed the dotted line to come here and got incentives, it was you're expected to have two drives a year, one for cultural and one for United Way. It was expected before you ever signed the line. Now, because all of these cities are fighting for these companies, 
That word doesn't come out of anybody's mouth. We just want to get them here, and we don't have that lean that we used to have. So when I say the the deck is shifted and changed, it's shifted. We know we don't want Chicago. We I'll say the task force does not want Chicago. We do not want a government-run cultural sector, period. We love public-private. Public, now we just have to figure out the widgets and the ways to make it happen so that we keep going forth with the ailments that we all just expressed. Wow. So economic development incentives by state and local governments are killing giving for arts and culture. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> if you don't have incentives, they won't be coming here. So. Okay, but an interesting dynamic that I think I did hear you describing there. And um, I wonder, Mr. Warren, when you're looking for a, a model, a successful, sustainable, that's the other big word, I guess, model, is it different for birds of prey than it is for dancers and art galleries? Not if we want this to be the best community we can live in, I think. And that's the part of the thing is how do you define culture? Culture is our community. Culture is what makes our community strong. And we're proud. I'm every bit as proud. And I wanna, I'm going to give you the, uh, the analogy of the art. A good friend of mine, uh, Andy Stevenson, who's with the Lee Institute, we're having lunch now a couple weeks ago. And we were discussing this, and she just looked at me and said, Jim, why is the Carolina Raptor Center relevant? And she was kind of pushing my button a little bit. And I went off on a dissertation about the birds and the ecology and, and the impact of birds and the harbingers that they are, and they tell us about these, you know, da 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 And so she finally just stopped me. She said, you know why I think they're important? I said, no. They're magnificent. They're beautiful creatures. They're art in flight. And that just kind of stuck to me. And so when you think about the why, it really is up to the eye of the beholder. Why is the Raptor Center as important as the opera? James Mina is here somewhere. And, and, and so you've got all these different pieces. And so they all make fabric of what makes Charlotte a great community. What I think, and, and to Mr. Clark's point, too, is we became so thankful of the uh, – workplace giving in the arts and science camp and trust me when the money was very good and i was able to do a lot of things it was great but i think what it didn't do is allow us maybe to connect with those individual donors and the key as you got it is stewardship you know as the, as the executive director of a nonprofit, my job is to make sure that you know that the money i'm using is making an impact and that that impact can be felt throughout the community and it's how do we get that relationship? How do we have those one-on-ones? I can, can't tell you how many cards I've written over the last few days to donors. I sent out an email to donors today making calls. You can't do that to 40-something thousand people. But as we start connecting better, we can. And how do we make that impact? And how do we do we know? The other thing is that donors nowadays are, are, are um, they're sophisticated. They're smart, especially the young ones. You guys that are young, you want to make an impact today. You want to know that the check you give me or the tweet you send to something is going to impact us today. And we've got to be able to do that. And people don't want to hear the woe is us, that there's a crisis and we've got to have your money to stay open. You want to know that what we're doing is going to make an, a long-term successful impact. And I think that's the other piece of it is how we pull it together and we can show the community that we are significant, we're integral, we're essential, just like everything, roads, schools, everything else, culture, art, science, history, 
is as important to all of those to making Charlotte a place to live. And I think that's why we're all here, is the quality of life of this great city we live in. And with technology today, there's no reason we cannot connect a united campaign uh, with the passion. We know what people are going to and what they're attending and where they're coming from. You know, 40% is coming from outside the county. We know where they're coming from. We know what their passion is, whether they give it to ASC or whether they give it to the individual group. We know what their passions are. Now we just have to link it. Okay, uh, thanks. Let's go back out here for a comment. Yeah, um, Mr. Riley, I think you said something about um, Cincinnati having to reinvent itself. Can you elaborate a little bit? You probably could address it more than I. They've done everything from top to bottom, uh, from renaming their their uh, ASC. Yeah, so I, I don't know how well first I, I can be, but um, Cincinnati, you know, has had um, the largest United Arts Fund in the country and um, also has gone through, you know, a, a shift. And again, the these kinds of funding models, particularly when they're um, community-wide like that, um, have to have changed over, you know, the past uh, several years because of the recession, because of changes in, in demographics, um, particularly there where it is a united fund and, and based on workplace giving. Just uh, something we haven't touched on is just corporate social responsibility changes, um, the fact that um, companies are no longer sort of headquartered in one place and, and then um, sort of can drive uh, in one community. Um, so Cincinnati really had to uh, look at its own model and transform. I can't speak to the um, specifics about how they went about that, but um, it it's a natural evolution of, you know, a response to a turbulent change. And I think that that's, that's where we are. Um, well, wait a second. Do we have? Okay, go ahead. All right. With um, all of your individual organizations, how are you currently interacting uh, with the current government that exists uh, with City Council, Arts and Science Council, and the mayoral office, and the incoming officers that are coming in for the next year. I'd be interested in knowing how you're going to deal with the upcoming and differences between what's happening now and what's going to happen upcoming for the next fiscal year, if you will. I can only say whatever we create crosses both both political sides. The, 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 the message that we have to, to bring forth is what the economic what the economic impact of the cultural community is. We have to clearly, clearly be able to share, like we are tonight, we have to share what the cultural impact for this community is. It is as major as a Duke Energy. It's as major as Carolina Med. And it's not, yes, it feel good, it feels good, it feels good, it feels good, but it makes a difference. And we have to impress upon our elected officials, whatever side of the aisle they're on, how important this is as a segment. MetLife doesn't come here without a strong cultural community, period. We don't need uh, companies coming here if, if, if they don't have a cultural-rich society. They're not coming here for just sports. They're not coming here for just shopping, connectivity. They're coming here for a rich cultural, a cultural society, and they're finding it. They're finding it. And we just have to keep reminding the elected officials that we're going to do our part. The private sector has to do their part. We are not going to go and say, bail us out. We as taxpayers don't want that. We're going to do our part. You've got to do your part. 
you can't make promises and then say, well, I can't make promises for future elected bodies. And that's what we've had in the past. We've had some promises and commitments that they said, I can't commit for future bodies, and all of a sudden they, they, they went away. The history museums came to us from the county and said, ASC, you take care of these history museums, we'll give you $2 million a year, a million five a year. And that lasted for two years. So bottom line is we have to have a force, the business community, the community at large, and that's what's so excited about this task force. It isn't just ASC. ASC has two seats. It is the city. It's the county. It's the schools. It's business. It's corporate donors. It's philanthropic givers. We're all there saying whatever we come up with, you don't have to listen to, but it's going to be a community-wide effort. Period. Every one of us is going to have to saddle up and do their part. All right. Up here. Yes, I have a two-part question. Uh, the first is, you've, I know we're talking about funding, but a large portion of the income for almost all arts groups is from fees and services, admissions. I didn't see any information about what percentage of the cultural community in Charlotte what does it earn through the box office, et cetera? And the other part is the Cultural Life Task Force, will it be dealing with the lives of, and the experiences and needs of individual artists? All right, let's start. Uh, Dr. Jamison, I'm sure you can speak about the admissions mm -hmm. piece of it. Uh, where does that range? So actually admissions for us is uh, I ultimately a relatively small number um, in our overall budget. Um, earned revenue, which that's what um, where that falls along with memberships and um, special events, rentals, and a, and a mix of things is actually a very large part of our budget. Um, so we, we have uh, uh, a very different mix, say, from Right, what Jim may have or what the opera may have or the Blumenthal. Um, it, I, I'm trying to remember the exact um, percentage, but earned revenue for us is about a third of uh, our budget, um, just under likely, and that also comes from other things like traveling exhibitions and, and a few other line items. Um, I think are we at capacity in that regard? No. Um, but I do think that it's important to um, recognize that there are, there are limits to, to that model as well. And um, ultimately, a healthy model looks like a third, third, third. So a third earned revenue, a third contributed, and a third um, uh, from endowment. And so that's what we're really working toward. But I, I think most organizations here are very mindful of um, maximizing earned revenue opportunities. And I would just love Jim to say um, his, his zinger that he said the other day um, regarding um, earned revenue and contributed, because I just used that term. And I realized as I said it that you would, you would take issue with that, because I couldn't agree more. If you won't say it, I'll no, say it. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your question, and I'm going to give you about So on the admissions programs, special events, fees for services, if you will, we're about 45%, we're about 45%, 55% is contributed. But I used this the other day, and I said, when I look at my budget, 100% is earned. <laughs> Money doesn't just fall out of the tree. Uh, and those of you that are significant donors, and I see a lot of you in here, I probably spend a whole lot more time with you 
than I do in there trying to figure out what's our next fee going to be or all that. Because if you've been in development, you know that it's a long-time relationship to get those gifts. And when the gifts come, they're significant, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, how much, thousands. But it takes a lot of effort. And so, no, we earn all of our money. Uh, one of the things that we wrestle with every time, because even though we are a nonprofit, we're a business. Yeah. And so I have to look at if we are going to try to make a little bit more money and we're at $10 for our admission rate for adults. And if I go up to 11 or 12, now all of a sudden I am competing with not just other cultural partners, but movies, anything for those dollars. Or if we charge a school and we have to be very sensitive to school field trips, if we get so much, then it's not just what that school can afford for the trip, but buses and teachers and all those things have to factor in. And so I wrestle with it. No, but, but to Catherine's point, we earn all of our money every day, and you should feel good about that. Fair, fair enough. Um, on the admissions, though, if I, if I saw the numbers uh, on your website, right, about just straight-up admissions fees, I saw 17%. Is that accurate for just admission to the Raptor Center as far as a percentage of your budget? That's about right. About we, right. Uh, we're probably total admissions about $200,000 a year in admissions. And admissions also is gift shops. And if you've come to the center, you know we do a real good job of selling plush um, eagles and T-shirts and everything else. But admission itself is about 17%. Okay. But if nothing else, it, and I want to get to you on the uh, task force question, if nothing else, which I imagine everybody in this room understood, just the basic um, metric of admissions fees to whatever it is, whatever the venue, is a fraction of what you need to keep doing business. <laughs> well, I think, um, I don't know if you're driving here, but I think it's also important to note that um, the price of admission, so... Um, the the uh, admission ticket for an adult or for a family to, to come into the Mint to see um, an exhibition is does not cover the cost of um, producing that exhibition or program or it it there has to be other ways of of fortifying um, those offerings and so it for us that number also is. Um, uh, less than you might think because we offer um, so many um, free opportunities and we are very committed to that. So the same time that you're buying a ticket, it's not only um, there, there are other costs associated with uh, what you may be experiencing, but we also feel strongly that we need to provide opportunities for every person in our community. And so that has to be part of the mix as well. So the challenge we talked about is nobody wants to fund opportunities Corporations, even corporations now want their name behind a tour or name on the marquee, uh, put it on the marketing side instead of the operations side. So we just said that every human being likes to have the passion to see the bird get fixed. Nobody wants to pay for the heat and the roof and to make sure that the, 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 the workings are paid for. So if the whole world wants to have the recognition and feel the passion, who's going to pay for the operations? And that's probably where government is going to have to come in. I think, I could be wrong, but I think your, your Blumenthal Performing Arts, where you have the roving shows and probably the, uh, the Discovery Place Children's Museums are probably the only ones that are probably carrying themselves based, not carrying everything, but carrying at least more of the load on the entrance fee because it's a, the, different model. it's a different model. The rest of it has to be subsidized by endowment or subsidized by fundraising 
one way or another. And if everybody wants to see their name in the light and they want to feel the passion and they want to see the bird, uh, who's going to fund the heat, the lights, the air conditioning, and the staff, the operations? And that's the, that's the challenge that we're, we're finding. Mm, okay. Um, we have more questions, so let's go here. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I am not very optimistic about this conversation so far because you keep talking about the money, right? And the passion, I think, has been removed. I think that a paradigm shift is in order <laughs> to to go to a new area. I think that um, growing up here, having a career in the nonprofits, first Nature Museum, then Discovery Place, found myself, you know, seven, eight years at one institution, Discovery Place, and not being challenged. And I think that that's a problem in Charlotte of not supporting the homegrown artist and not elevating these these institutions are now run, used to be, exception of John Mackey, science museums are run by scientists, and they were passion, more passion-driven. These days, I believe that our institutions are more driven by marketing, and, you know, if there's funding out there, then we say, oh, we should go after that. And so I think this paradigm shift needs to be, if you will, from the bottom up or what I would like to say the bottom down and um, start to invest in the people who do have the passion. And, um, you know, I am glad to see that your guys travel budgets haven't been damaged and when I read in the paper about the the group you know suggesting that the CEOs need to go off and have a vacation so they don't get burned out in that um, regard and I know it's pretty critical um, but I think it's time to re look at ourselves and look at um, how we run our place the light factory right down here you know that that hall is empty and where rent, Blumenthal rents it to, you know, a church on Sundays. And I was involved in some of that and saw how those, that, that was treated, that our respect for art and um, the people who create it. And okay. I guess, thank right, you. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Does anybody want to comment on the comment? Well, I don't, I don't know if it qualifies, but I'm an art historian, and I have uh, more passion in my heart for what I do and the service that I provide than I can express. And um, I, I think that, Jim, um, my, you know, I've, I've witnessed that. I mean, you can sense it just here. Um, I agree that we have to do more to um, engage the community. We are we are focused on funding right now. That's how the, the conversation started. But I think that if you talked with any one of the cultural organizations, I mean, we, we are very committed to serving this community in a way that is relevant and meaningful. And we're all working very hard to do that. Um, so I, I I hear what you're saying. I'm sorry that you you have had that experience of you know feeling disconnected um, or underserved. Um, but we actually at the Mint have have really made a concerted effort to um, make a commitment to local artists, and uh, we need to do more. I agree, um, but I think we do a, a hell of a lot that sometimes is not um, always acknowledged. I think some organizations will fail, just like some businesses didn't make it. And I think 
The Arts and Science Council has done a yeoman's job, whether it's the Light Factory or the Symphony many times or other organizations where we've funded consultants, we've funded financiers, we've funded private folks going in to help and consult to try to turn around. But the reality is they're their own organizations. They have strong boards. They have their own boards that are fiscally responsible. And if they can't make it and if they can't run it, bottom up, top down, whatever it is, then some are going to fail. And there's many, many huge institutions in America right now that are looking in the mirror right now to try to figure out where they got to go. So this isn't based right here. I'm talking about New York City, Chicago. They're looking at their symphonies. They're looking at opera. They're looking. Every organization has to figure out what they can be and, and what, the, what the demand out there is, and they got to recreate themselves. The ASC, just because it's a funding model, ASC can't save. It can coach and counsel and give some bridge money and to try to help, but each organization is going to have to stand on its own in the future and meet the new society once. Mm-hmm. I, I want to speak to your point, too. Um, I have the privilege of serving with you know, what almost 30 executive directors from every one of these organizations, and Trust me when I say that most of us would rather not be dressed like this. We'd rather be doing the work that we got into this for. I didn't go to Appalachian State and get a degree in recreation to be sitting behind a desk. My passion is the environment. My passion is what I do. I think some of you may have seen me over in Blumenthal not long ago at David Sedaris with a great horned owl on my glove. I'd rather be handling a bird. Um, I'd rather be actually, believe it or not, chopping up prey to be able to feed that bird. But the board and my role is I have to get out there and get resources. I have to be able to do it. We went from 24 staff to 10 in a matter of months. And we made a decision we were going to do everything we could. And so as a shop so small as we were, it had to take passion. I'm contained to stand here, and if, you, if you've ever seen me at something with the Raptor Center, I'm usually walking around, and I'm usually like this because I've got a bird on my glove. And it's much easier to get fired up. I think sometimes that's the other thing. Maybe we haven't gotten fired up. Maybe we haven't gotten angry enough to tell people about how important what we do in this community it is. And I think some of us maybe we've gotten into this mold of, oh, that's just another executive director. We don't need to listen to him because he's going to be gone in a few years. I've been in the Raptor Center almost eight years, and I'd love to finish my career. be nothing better than to keep serving this community and keep working with birds. I love it. This, right, this community could bury its head and, and just let this figure itself figure itself out, but we're not that type of community. That's why the task force has 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 come forth and 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 brought by the community at large because that's not we are a can do. We'll figure this out. We will figure this out, uh, and it's going to it's going to take some time, and we're going to have a lot of folks involved. And coming out of it, uh, coming out of it, it's going to take a lot of change. We all, as companies, you know, 50% of our business went away. We're a different company today. Trust me. I had 121 people laid off, two furloughs, two 5% pay cuts, closed 15 offices. Did I want to do any of that? What's the difference between an arts group or a cultural group or a science group than a business? That's what we had to do to make it. Unless you were in energy and oil or something, bottom line is you had to do what we're doing here. The last one in a recession is government. And with government is... The, the cultural side. So we're in the tank now. Everybody else is feeling good, kicking their feet a little bit, saying, hey, things are back. Guess who's in the tank? Culture and government is in the tank right now. You're just the last one in. Okay. Um, let's go up top. Hi, Maddie Bear. 
Um, you brought up a point about some organizations possibly needing to fail, but I think that that perhaps could be avoided if some of the organizations would look at what they do and look at whether they can combine their efforts with another organization. I think one of the, the good things that has come out of the last couple of years has been more collaborative programming. And I think we need to take a close look at that. And I think there's somebody who asked a question before about support for individual artists. And I think you still need to respond to that person. Thank you. Well, um, I'd like to I'd like to pick up while that's on the floor here because uh, Mr. Warren, you and I talked the other day on the phone about collaboration and partnerships and that kind of thing. Um, you know, if it's inevitable that some are going to fail, at least that was that was what we heard. Um, it w would seem more inevitable that some consolidations and that sort of thing would would have to happen. Um, do you see it that way? I don't know about mergers, acquisitions, or that, but what I see it as is more partnerships and collaborations. I mean, again, I'm going to point out to James Manus in up here. He contacted us not long ago about having a bird at Aida. You know, bird in the opera. Well, it's it's goes hand in hand. We weren't able to do it. Uh, regretfully, just didn't work out. But Potted Potter was here not long ago. Well. Harry Potter and owls, hmm. Uh, so the more that we can do together, and not just programmatically, but shared resources and the things that we go to all the time about leadership and how do we work. And if we're in a situation, then pulling us together as resources to make it better. So, you know, I don't know if we need to merge, but shared space, shared things that we can do together, ways of looking at cutting costs, shared staff. I mean, there's a, so many different ways that we can make this thing work. Client relations management, technology, uh, expertise in leadership, finance, there's just a lot of ways that in the back room uh, we can look at, at that type of uh, work, yes. Okay. All right, thanks. I, I may have lost track. If there was a question hanging in the room that didn't get uh, snagged, mm -hmm. remind me. <laughs> did, did you guys hear? <laughs> okay. I thought we addressed some of that, but maybe I not. I haven't been on the Arts and Science Council board. I know they're here, but I know that even through the recession, I know that X amount of dollars every year goes to individual artists, and I understand even through the recession, it might not have been as much. Uh, so I'd have to defer to somebody in the Arts and Science Council to say, how many individual artist grants did we do this year? Well, would, if, uh, if someone from the uh, ASC would like to comment for us, that'd be great. Um, we have... Um, and could you tell us who you are, please? Robert Bush with ASC. Thank you. Um, we have um, continued to support individual artists through individual artist grants. In fact, we're getting ready to approve a round of them next week um, in the normal program. But I think that a lot of people forget that every grant that we give pays for individual artists. The symphony money pays for symphony musicians. The dance theater's grant pays for dancers. The theater Charlotte's money pays for technicians who build sets and hang lights. Um, there's money going into actors at children's theater. I mean, these dollars are funding artists across the community. And it's a fairly significant number of artists that are employed in this community through the sector. Uh, if you look at just the nonprofit uh, cultural groups, um, 
the total employment is around 4,000. But when you do the spinoff employment of the jobs that are created because of those people having jobs, it jumps to over 6,200. I mean, this is, we are a, an employer, you know, just like everybody else. And so while individual artists may not be at the level of funding that we would hope at the ASC and we would aspire to at the ASC, we do know that every grant we give out is employing an artist in some way. You said you aspire to a certain amount, but you haven't answered the question. What's the aspirational number? What percentage would be good for individual artists? And it's great to say a business is a collection of individuals, duh. But let's talk about individual artists as individuals and answer the question. What's aspirational for the ASC? The ASC is working towards a five to ten year project currently within the theater community. Um, I know this because I'm part of that community. And the ASC has been working very, very hard with the Arts Council and with individual artists. Uh, myself, I've been working with the ASC to try to make that happen, just within the theater arts. I know they've been doing it with dance. I know they've been doing it with visual artists. Um, I know that kind of falls through the cracks a lot of the times, but they're really trying to make a, a concerted effort, and they have a five- to ten-year plan that they're working towards right now. And I know that meeting is happening on the 20th, 23rd, somewhere in the next few days. Um, so I do know that they're, they're actually working towards working with individual artists within individual arts districts or, or, or individual artists within individual arts realms, if you will. Okay, thank you. Uh, I know there's more that could be discussed on that, but we do have other ground that we want uh, to cover in the time that we have left this evening. Um, I'd like to go to one more promise. This is the last chart. Um, but this is uh, info from the Foundation for the Carolinas on their donor giving, uh, just some sector information. Uh, if you can read that, you can see uh, the top category there is religion-related. And when we talk about passion um, and where people, you know, we talk about the organizations and the, the people that work at the organizations being passionate, but certainly uh, we're interested in where the passion of the populace is. And uh, that's certainly, you know, where the... Where the heart is, the treasure will go, to invert things a little bit. So when we look at religion, education, human services, you know, I can't help but think of of the images and reports that we're getting from the Philippines right now. And when you talk about people, you know, chopping up that hard-earned dollar, um, I mean, there's an inherent challenge there. Uh, Dr. Jameson, you and I talked on the phone about... Uh, the concept of nice for the offerings of the uh, arts and cultural community versus being an essential pillar of the community. So just first from the panel and then uh, perhaps from the audience, I know you all can't see that very well above you there, but, but you kind of get the picture. So in terms of nice versus essential versus passion, in light of these kinds of categories, how does that fit in to this long-term survivability, sustainability for your organizations? Well, I look, I don't think anyone is going to argue that um, a child who is hungry um, 
needs to have an art lesson instead of a sandwich, right? It, it, we're never going to make the the um, the argument that essential needs um, in health and human services um, are are not first mission critical first and foremost. I think though it would be a tremendous mistake to characterize um, the arts, for example, uh, arts, science, history, um, as luxury items. The, the fact of the matter is, is that we are in a time of incredible turbulent change. That is not going to change anytime soon. And what we have to uh, train our uh, uh, workforce, our children, ourselves to do is to be able to have creative response, to be able to improvise, to be able to be nimble in their thinking, to be able to navigate the bombardment of visual information um, uh, among other uh, kinds of information that um, we experience each and every day. And I am I am deeply convinced that um, we what we do is essential to um, creating a robust 21st century society. And so I, it is not a luxury. Um, in fact, uh, I think the old model of the way the arts sort of were integrated or not with communities, I think, has completely shifted, and rightly so, because we're not going to be able to survive um, unless uh, folks are able to um, have these skills. And it's exactly what we do is... is um, Training and uh, and equipping um, citizens to address these changes, and so it it is essential. It's not, you know, Maslow's hierarchy. It is not, you know, first uh, need. But if we don't have that, then we we don't have um, a society that can move forward uh, in any kind of um, meaningful way. Okay. Either. Uh, Mr. Riley or Mr. Warren? Well, I'm just going to say, first of all, looking at the pie chart, we're going to take advantage of the misnomer that hits us quite often. A lot of people call us the Carolina Rapture Center. And unless we missing the boat on the religious piece. Um, no, but seriously, we, uh, and we, we get quite a few. I'm wondering if when all the birds start flying up, we're all going to be going somewhere. Um, uh, I, I agree. You know, it's... I, it's where do you make that decision? But I mean, how often if we're in a bad state of mind that we turn to music yeah. or if we are having stress in our lives in whatever way do we look at art or something or we have conversations with people? I think that's one of the things that has to make. And again, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. But then we also have the emotional and the mental and the spiritual side that we have to feed, not just well as the physical. So in what I hear you saying, in the big picture, the big scheme of things, it's not an either-or situation, although we might ag all agree that in any given moment for any given individual, there might be those choices that have to be made. Mm -hmm. Okay, fair enough. Anybody just quick thought on that as a person who, if you support the arts or don't support the arts, um, any, any quick thoughts on that? Sir? Uh, I, I support the arts, um, <laughs> but um, I guess this is a philosophical question for the entire room, which is um, which um, harkens back to the comment that where your passion is, there where there your treasure goes. How, how do we, as an industry, um, philosophically um, support the notion that we need a thirty 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 model? 
as opposed to other businesses, other art forms that um, earn all of their income. So we Such we as uh, film, cinema. Um, such as uh, not entirely with yeah. incentives that, that are available. <laughs> but 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 it, but one one cannot say that uh, there isn't art in cinema and that there isn't artistic cinema that earns all of its revenue. So um, the the question then becomes: What about what we do requires um, philanthropy, donations? What's so special about what we do? Okay, already. <laughs> hmm. I need to think about that, but I will take issue. I, I, I think. Okay, good. Take it, take it, Jim. I wanted to just listen, but I'm sorry, I can't. And I know most folks know, but but if you wouldn't mind identifying um, yourself, I'm James Mean. I'm the director of the opera and uh, fighting uh, <clears throat> laryngitis, so that was part of my reason for not speaking up. But this has been wonderful, folks, and. Great dialogue. David, what we do in the cultural sector is connect people to their humanity. And yes, there is art in everything that's entertainment, whether it's uh, a popular movie uh, or whether it's a Broadway show. There is, those are all artistic. But what we do is connect through the centuries of artistic creativity that expresses our very human emotions, who we are as people. And when we look at a Rembrandt, we understand it on a very visceral, intellectual, and emotional level. We are connecting, and we have this unique quality as human beings that we want to know who our ancestors were. We want to know who was doing something important centuries ago. It helps us define who we are. And that's really what we're about in uh, in the arts and science and cultural sector. But you don't think Forrest Gump does that, too? Well, of course, but that's entertainment. You know, now let's be honest about it. When we do Madame Butterfly, we pay the bills. Madame Butterfly is a popular opera. It's our nutcracker, if you will. It's our Forrest Gump. It's our, you know, whatever. Uh, but when we do an interesting, uh, adventurous, risky piece... A cold, sassy tree, a new opera. We need subsidies for that, you know, because uh, there is a difference between. Um, I, I don't want to get too high fluting about this, but you know, there is a difference between between certain types of cultural activities and those things that are entertainment. And I think we have to uh, we have to recognize that. I'm not saying one has more value than the other, but it's simply the way it is it's simply simply you know the uh, the situation that we're in um so i'm going to turn the mic over okay. to this lovely lady next maestro time. thank you um all right go ahead Let's make a comment and that is that i would argue that we do subsidize films mm-hmm. even commercial films through all of the breaks that they get within states within federal governments so i think it's not reasonable to suggest that we are not subsidizing lots of things that are commercial operations and commercial arts enterprises. Okay. Good point. Um, was there... Okay, Michael, did you have... No? Okay. All right. Um, hey, we have got about a little less than 15, 10, 15 minutes left to go here. Um, 
So, all righty, we'll go here. Thank you. Um, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be back home in Charlotte and to be able to be a part of this discussion, having had, in a way, I feel like um, it's deja vu all over again because so many of us were involved in trying to expand the culture that we found in the 1980s and um, we were all exalted by the new buildings that came up in the 2000s, but there were also many of us who were fearful that um, you know, the emperor had new clothes. We had large, shiny buildings, but we were not supporting the programs that were going to sustain those buildings. I have two, um, I suppose, comments, and perhaps I can form a question at some point. All right. Um, one of the things that I've been concerned about is morale through all of this. You'd be surprised. I'm so far. I flew in from New York to be here tonight for this discussion because I remain engaged. And we talked about engagement. And I think of myself as a model that if I could come to this city with no connection to North Carolina, no connection to a business, but just to come and want to create a space and leave for seven years and still be engaged to the point of tears and concerned about the slippery slope, then I realized that, my goodness, if, you could, if one me can do that, we can multiply that mm-hmm. a million times. We could have a very successful cultural city. Um, I think it's a, a lot about just giving simple credit We often, in the ASC programs, during the eight years that I served on the board, we had workplace giving, but we didn't show the face of the workers. We lifted one CEO's face, and we lifted the name of a company, whether it was Duke or Carolina Medical Center. It's not so much that the programs have to be changed. We just have to say, this lady is Carolina Medical Center. This family is Duke Energy, not the face of the CEO, but the face of the people who make this happen. It's the same paradigm when you say artists. Instead of saying we're giving funding to one organization, we put on the face so that we can all see ourselves and our hearts within the art. Um, So that was my, perhaps, suggestion. My concern is morale. Through all of this, how do you maintain your morale? You seem to have great joy, humor, and passion. And I suspect maybe the birds who don't talk back might have a lot to do with it. Well, the sad thing is they're starting to talk back now, and I'm listening to them. Um, I think but it's just I do wonder what it's like at the Mint and at other organizations where people's morales are starting to waver because of whatever. You must have concerns of pressure if you're losing staff, losing hours. And my fear is that we will settle for mediocrity in order to meet our budgets. And I just want to say to you that if you think people aren't coming out because you have good programs, they're surely not going to come out for mediocre, Mm -hmm. mediocre, risk-adverse programs. So I just encourage everyone to stay strong. Thank you. I want to um, pose a question first to Mr. Riley here as co-chair of the Cultural Life Task Force. And uh, was it David right here? You're not armed, are you? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, As you look at all these options, um, surely you must be looking at some recommendation that might involve 
extra revenue coming from the general public in a not-so-voluntary way. Yes, that's an option that, that, that some cities, public funding, tax, um, tax district, extra tax, whatever the options might be. What are other cities doing, and will you look at that? I, th- I think that uh, we were very clear that uh, what took us to the dance has always been public-private partnerships. And you can see that uh, they haven't carried their load. The city has. The city's done a wonderful job. Bottom line is we have to look at the state, we look at the city, look at the county and say, what have they done? What should they be doing? Uh, but we have to go to them and say, we're going to do our part if you do your part. It's gotta, we're we're going to have to go to them the way it worked in the past to say, this is what we're going to do. Can you match it? Can you figure out how to be sustainable and not in, un, undependable? Up and down. So, so yes, part of this whole plan, uh, there's nobody going to be hiding. There's nobody going to be uh, under the under undercover. It's going to be a combination of public-private, and uh, we're all have to put our hands in. And again, the city doesn't have to agree. The county doesn't have to agree. Any of these recommendations we come up with, they can say, "Forget it, you guys are crazy." Uh, but we are going to come up with a comprehensive plan, and hopefully, people will listen. Otherwise, we wasted a whole year, year and a half. Uh, uh, of the town. Some folks have asked, I got five emails before I come in here today, why is the task force now going into closed meetings? We've spent a lot of time doing research. It's all in the Dropbox. It's all out there. Everything we've found, you can see too. Um, we do believe that because none of us are elected officials and because we're all donating our time and that we all represent an organization, whether it's the chamber, whether it's the center city partners, whether it's the schools, these are individuals, and we, they have expressed the need to be able to throw things against the wall that might be crazy, might be founded, non-founded, but in an environment publicly, a lot of these folks just aren't going to feel free to just throw it out there. And that's why we have chose to close these meetings. Uh, my partner, uh, Felicia, is in the hall somewhere. She and I will be available after every meeting. Uh, to talk afterwards to the press, but uh, being that we're not public officials and we're all volunteering our time, we want freedom. We want freedom to be creative and maybe throw things out there that just are off the wall, and we don't want people to clam up for fear of wherever they represent uh, that uh, it, it, it wouldn't be uh, – it would, it, it, would, it would tighten it up and clam it up. So that's the reason we're going to closed, and, uh, and uh, we're going to stick to that. Mm-hmm. Well, what could uh, the next or the renewed or advanced level of the public side of the public-private partnership look like or translate for me as your average resident slash taxpayer? I have no idea. You have no idea? How, how will you – what sort of recommendation – you just put out something and then let the government, local government, figure out how to, could be, to wrestle with that? For instance, for instance, it could take years. In other words, we have to figure a stopgap right now. We have to bridge, just like all our companies did. We have to figure out how we get through the eye of this needle. Then we have to look at long term. So hopefully we're going to come up and say short term we need this, long term we need this. And hopefully we're going to come out with recommendations, public and private, and workplace giving and corporate giving and philanthropic. How many people even know the cultural trusts exist? How many citizens in this town know that if they put their will and state together today and they believe in art, science, and history, that they can 
put in their will and estate to the cultural trust. I would say the majority of people don't even know the cultural trust even exists, and we spent years putting that together. So much of this is communication. So much of this is spreading the word and getting out there and rebranding and creating momentum. When we got together, it was after Angels. Everybody had, when I came here 22 years ago, I, first thing I got off the plane is, what's this ASC? It's on every car. It's on every bumper. What is ASC? When I get off recruiting every company, we sat every company down and said, if you come to this town, you're expected to get behind the United Arts. You're expected to get behind the arts. And I was part of all those moves. That has all disappeared. We sometimes need crises to bring urgency. We have a crisis but not where we've made it through the eye of the storm. We just now have to get there. This is what drives any kind of change is a crisis. So we had a crisis with angels. We came and rallied. This is going to rally us. <laughs> Events like this tonight, thank you, thank you, thank you, because you coming out with this weather, you being emissaries out there, the task force coming forth with a vision plan, we just got to get out there and do it. We know, we know, we know what we have to do. We have to rebrand. We have to get out there and, and really show the world what this cultural community does and will do in the future and what it means to this community at large. Companies don't come here without it. They don't stay here without, without good culture. And, and the community doesn't flourish. This is, this is such an integral part of the community. We just have to get out there and get people connected. We have to find their passion, and we have to connect it. Uh, and it, it'll work. Are there any newcomers who need the phrase crisis with angels <laughs> explained? <laughs> there are a few, actually. Oh, boy. <laughs> How long do we <laughs> see him afterwards? <laughs> a angels in America was uh, the play in, what, 1980, 90? 90. Early 90s. And I came here in 91. Okay. And I came here in 91. And essentially public backlash to the content of that play uh, caused significant reverberations in support for the arts. Is that a fair statement? And we rallied. And you rallied. Okay. We rallied. The public and rallied. private rallied. Okay. We, uh, <laughs> well, I'm in the news business. <laughs> I think we even replaced politicians, if I remember. <laughs> okay, we're about out of time. Um, okay, was, was there a comment right here? Yeah, I, I, have, a, I have a comment and a question. Uh, a few years ago, I was on uh, the future of the library task force here after the library uh, uh, had a calamitous uh, cut in its funding from the county. county provides 90% of the money for the library. Our budget was cut about 40% over a couple of years. Our employee base was cut by about the same amount. It was devastating. Uh, I, I, uh, and a lot of the things you're talking about are the very things that we looked at and worked through mm -hmm. in order to get the library back on a sustainable basis. Uh, if you're looking for government funding, I want to tell you, it's hard to come by. But one of the things we, we uh, considered on the future of the library task force is that there ought to be a public policy about a certain amount of local government money from both the city and the county being devoted to cultural resources, recognizing how important that is. And that would include 
both us at the library and all the things you're talking about. I think the community coming out of this recession is ready for some new thinking about that. And I, I can see uh, indications that you're going to lead us in that direction, and I commend you for it. It's very healthy right now. Public art, uh, I, was on, I was chair of the Arts and Science Council when we fought the public art and got that percentage of every government-constructed building devoted to public art. We're going to put a new piece out at the airport right now. Uh, public art's working because we put it in, set the expectations, and we as taxpayers believe in it, see it, love it. And it's not this year going and beg, next year going and beg. It's in the, it's in the culture, in the, in, the, in the structure of government. We have to get to the point where government has built into it a piece of respect of financial, of monies, to go toward the cultural sector, period, end of question. And it can't waffle in every year depending on what side of the aisle, who's in, who's out. Uh, that's just not dependable. We're going to be dependable on our side. We need them to be dependable on their side. And uh, it's got to be predictable. Yeah. Let, me say, okay. let me say one more thing. The, the, other, the other thing we did was learn that we had to establish a much closer connection with the people we serve. And I, that's been one of the great emphases of the of the the library system since then. The people endorsing us are the people who use our services. Mm -hmm. It's all relationships. It makes all the difference. It's all relationships. All right, all right folks, uh, thank you. We are out of time. I just wonder how many of you learned something tonight? Okay, great. How many of you um, feel inspired in some fresh way? Okay, I think we had a successful time. I want to thank Mr. Riley, Dr. Jameson, Mr. Warren. Excellent panel. Thank Great you. discussion tonight. Thank you.